Rex Barney give that fan a contract, it's time to give that fan a podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Blake. Let's talk some Orioles baseball. Welcome to the debut episode of our new show hosted on Utah Street Report. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Blake. I'm joined today by former Utah Street Report podcast host, Paul Valley. You've now moved on to PressBox. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to fill the void for uh, for Derek and Tony and the guys over there at Utah Street Report. So, Paul, I really appreciate you joining for me me for the first episode. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Glad that you asked. And I'm uh, happy to be here, man. Uh, how are things going on your end? Not too bad, you know, just trying to get this together. I've been lining up some guests for my first few episodes, and uh, so far, so good. I'm trying to learn the, the tech side of things. You know, first and foremost, I got to thank uh, Tony and Derek and, and Steven Adams and those guys over there. They reached out to me and said they thought I'd be good for this, and, uh, you know, I've got a little podcast experience on my own. I've been, uh, I've joined a bunch of other shows here and there. Uh, a lot of great podcasts out there in the Orioles world, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the family now, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how this goes. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I think that the you know I'm happy to hand over the reins of the Utah Street Report podcast. Um, Tony, Derek, really, really great guys. I didn't have the opportunity to work with Stephen Adams, but uh, Tony and Derek reached out to me prior to last season, and really good guys to work with. You know, they have a lot of contacts, and you know, uh, I'll tell you right now, a good person to contact and to know is Kaylee Adams. Uh, in Orioles PR, she can get you a lot of great guests for your podcast. So she helped me out a lot this year on the bat around over at PressBox. So uh, that's a good person to know as well. And uh, I think the, I think the podcast is in good hands, man. You're a good guy. You know a lot about baseball. So I think that uh, Utah Street Report has you know a bright future with you at the helm there. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, you know I've done some writing for them in the past, and uh, I do actually I I have been in touch with Kaylee Adams. She follows my uh, my Orioles account over there. A couple of the PR people do so. I've uh, been in touch with her. We're working on some fun things for the future. I'm actually planning on having her and uh, Jackie Harrigan and Chris for a show, talk a little bit about you know public relations, women in sports, things like that that I think a lot of people are going to want to hear about. Um, tell me a little bit about your transition from uh, Utah Street Report over to PressBox. You know, it's a, a good opportunity for you, and you had me on your show a couple weeks ago. We did a little little recap of the season there, and uh, what's that transition been like working with Zach? I know he's a good guy. He does a foul pole pod with Matthew Pine, so feels like we're all connected in some way. Yeah, so or- Orioles social media is a really tight-knit group. It seems like everybody meets and gets to know everybody else. You know, um, I actually met my, my fiance on Orioles Twitter. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a very, very close community. Um, and I'll tell you, like I said, Derek and Tony Lombardi over at Utah Street Report reached out to me last year and had me come on to do the payoff pitch. And the plan was for me to go back and do it again this year. Uh, but Tony, you know, t- t- Tony pays for it all and he, he, he fronts everything and he wanted to take the show in a bit of a different direction, which I was totally willing to do. We were going to do two five minute videos. Um, one was going to be an Orioles recap and one was going to be a minor league recap. And I was totally on board to do that, but I still wanted to do, I still wanted to talk Orioles baseball for longer than five minutes a week. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so 
I was just going to do the podcast on my own. Well, it so happened that last December, I reached out to Glenn Clark about any kind of jobs he might have at Pressbox. And if you've ever met Glenn Clark, he's one of a kind. He's a really, really genuinely good guy. Um, and so he brought me in with Stan the Fan Charles and interviewed me. And I ended up getting the job producing Stan's show, The Bat Around, on, um, for Pressbox. And we were in there for about three months producing the show, and then COVID hit. And we went into a hiatus for about three months. And I had started to talk to Stan about maybe taking the payoff pitch over there just to keep the podcast going and still do the two videos for Tony. And Stan thought that it was a good idea. And then again, we had that, that three month hiatus. When we came back, I reached out to Stan again about possibly still doing the payoff pitch. And he said, Hey, I don't really want to do this show anymore. I don't, I don't feel comfortable coming into the studio. I'd like you to take over as the host of the bat around. And to me, um, it really showed me what Stan and what Glenn thought of me that after just three months of producing that show for them, they felt comfortable enough to put that show in my hands. So for me, it was an opportunity to take my my career to another level. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and and just to get to talk about Orioles baseball instead of for a half an hour to 45 minutes each week. Now I get to do it for two hours and I get to interview guests and. Uh, as far as my as far as my uh, my co-host, Zach, Zach kind of fell in my lap. I had uh, Vasilios Nicolau as my original co-host. And I told him at the beginning, you know, that it was a um, it was a temporary thing. Vasilios is more of a football guy, really good guy who does a really great podcast. Um, I believe it's called the Extra Point Podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, So the first couple of weeks, Vasilios was there. He went on vacation. So I had Zach come in and co-host. And Zach was just he was so good. He was so good and at such a young age, and he showed the same passion that I feel like I show um, in when I do what I do. And Matt, he came very highly recommended from his co-host Matt Pine um, from the Nate Hit the Foul Pole podcast. That I couldn't let him go. I couldn't let Zach go because he did everything that I needed and then some. He puts in all the extra work. So, and we really hit it. We really hit our stride about week five of the bat around and never looked back. And it's just been. It's been a, a, a lot of fun. We're going to be doing it every week. We're going to take the show more national um, as far as national guests and stuff like that in the in the off season. But Utah Street Report really helped me hone my craft and really helped me, you know, become good enough to move on to a place that now pays me to do this. And I can't thank Tony enough. I can't thank Derek enough. Those are two of the nicest guys and two of the best guys to know in this industry, especially in the Baltimore market just been really, really grateful for the opportunities that they gave me. And I actually still look forward to work, working with them. Once we get out of this pandemic fully, I still want to work with Tony and do some real stuff for Utah Street Report. So hopefully we can make that happen. But, you know, they're, they're the reason that I've gotten to where I am. And they're the reason I, I hoped I'm going to continue to grow. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy for you. Happy for Zach. I've been following your stuff now for at least a couple of years now, I think. And, uh, you know, always, always great content, a great follow on Orioles Twitter, good social media. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic for you. It's, it's an awesome opportunity, and I'm glad, like you said, you, you finally get paid to do something you love, and, uh, and you know, that's, that's a great opportunity. Um, you know, we've, we've touched on a few other podcasts that are going on, and you know, we'll, we'll dive into some Orioles recap in this, this uh, segment, but um, this is kind of just meant to be a little bit of an introduction to the podcast. And one thing I've been fighting myself with is. How do I get people to listen to me? You know, um, you know, I've been putting out some articles here and there. I haven't done a whole lot of podcasting aside from guest spots here and there, but 
you know, how do I separate myself from, you know, the guys who have been doing this for, for years now, guys who I, I respect very much. Uh, so that's going to be the biggest part for me with, with this podcast is just trying to figure out, you know, some segments to, to break into, you know, what kind of guests I want to get that people are going to want to listen to. And, um, you know, I've never done a podcast like this by myself, you know, back when I, when I did host a show, it was with someone else. So, um, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a co-host at some point, but for now it's, it's going to be me talking baseball and, you know, I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to draw some people in and, uh, you know, hopefully people will care what I have to say, but I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, man, I, I'll tell you what helps you a lot and what helps me a lot. We both come from the restaurant industry yeah. and, um, you have to know how to talk to people. You have to know how to interact. Um, and I think that working in restaurants really helps you do that because you deal with so with a multitude of different people. So, you yeah, know, absolutely. You, you know, you know what people like and what people don't like. Right. Um, so just the personality that you already have just ba based on working in that industry is going to help you a lot. On top of that, man, I'll tell you that there is no substitute for extreme preparation. Um, if, if you, if you ask Zach, I send Zach my notes every Friday night for the show. I have seven to nine pages of notes for every show that I do. I am over prepared for every show because I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to mess up. This is what I love to do. This is what I, what I consider myself an expert in. And you know, if, if I go in there and I make mistakes, or I show that I don't know what I'm talking about, people aren't going to listen. So if you're knowledgeable, you're prepared, and you go in there with a the confidence that, hey, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm putting on a good show, people are going to listen because that's what they want to hear. They want to see the confidence, and they want to know that when you're talking, you're the person to listen to. You know, and honestly, Ryan, I have no doubts that you're that you're going to be that guy. You, you're you're to me, you already seem very well prepared. I, I've I've known you for a couple of years now, and you're you're on the right path, man. So just just work hard and trust what you know, man, because trusting yourself is going to take you a long way. Yeah, when it comes down to it, really what we're doing here is talking about the Orioles. And if if there's anything in this world that I love, it's talking about the Orioles. And, uh, you know, I, th I think it's going to be a good time. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in a little bit. You know, I, I had sent you a, a little bit of an outline of talking points. I didn't, um, you know, not quite seven to nine pages, some bullets there. And then, you know, after I sent you that, I kind of wrote my own notes throughout. Again, not quite seven pages, but uh, I like to think we've uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about. So, um, first things first, the Orioles won 25 games this year, which was exceeded just about everybody's expectations. Uh, we're in this; it was the second full season, kind of full season, of a rebuild under Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde, and uh, we we exceeded expectations and still came out with a top five draft pick. Um, so, what what were your biggest takeaways from this year? Well, I'll tell you. At the beginning of the year, I said. If the Orioles go 25 and 35, I would consider that a successful season as far as wins and losses are concerned. And, and they did that. This season, Ryan was wildly successful. Uh, just in, not only just in the record, you know, the, there was that, that ESPN writer who said they weren't going to win 10 games and yeah. they would go out there and they, they were in the playoff picture until the last five days of the season. They win 25 games, but then the highs for me are, Ryan Mountcastle, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer coming up from the minors and small sample size, albeit, but showing that they, they belong. Um, looking at guys like Tanner Scott and Dylan Tate in that bullpen really come into their own and Tanner Scott turning into that pitcher that we all saw that he could be, but he just hadn't quite gotten there yet. Uh, the bullpen 
Their ERA was like 579 in 2019. This year it was 390. It was a top 10 unit in all of baseball. The team ERA improved by well over a run. To me, just seeing the Orioles make those strides in the second year of a rebuild was more than we could have ever hoped for. And you see these guys come up and have success, and it's something's working. And, you know, this is why they brought in Mike Elias and Sigmund Dell and Brandon Hyde. Something is working. And all you have to do is look at the product on the field this year to be able to tell that that's the case. Yeah, no doubt. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Sig in that analytics department. You know, when he came aboard a couple years ago, that 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 was non-existent. We didn't have an analytics department. And uh, I, Sig's actually a guy I'm I'm working on trying to get on the show down the road. The uh, the PR staff's kind of given the the higher ups a little bit of a break at the end of the season, but uh, hopefully, you know, maybe around Christmas time I'll get him on. But one thing I want to talk to him about when he was brought aboard, um, they had the the Q and A at Fan Fest. And uh, a fan asked him, how, how are you going to help the Orioles get ahead of the curve in terms of analytics? And Sig was, was very blunt. He said, well, before we try to get ahead of the curve, we have to catch up to the rest of the league, which showed me that he was really self-aware of the position that he was stepping into and the fact that you know there's a lot of work to be done. And now here we are, not quite two calendar years later, and uh, the, the results are already showing. You mentioned the, the big three guys that a lot of people have been talking about in Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, and Keegan Aiken all of whom came up and made an immediate impact. Uh, Kramer and Aiken both striking guys out. Mountcastle getting on base just about every game. His walks were a lot better than we expected. His defense was serviceable out in left field. So something that they're they're doing down at, at the alternate site at Bowie this year was was really working. And um, We saw a report from uh, from John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun that Gunnar Henderson, who's our, our top shortstop prospect, was um, you know kind of shadowing Adley Rushman around. You know, Adley was our number one pick last year, and uh, he had a great, a great season at Bowie this year. And uh, and Henderson kind of just became a sponge, and he got off to a little bit of a slow start. It was an adjustment for him, um, you know, going up against guys who were throwing high 90s, and you know, DL Hall, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Kramer, and Aiken before they they moved on up. And um, you know, even he he really started to make some strides offensively and defensively by trying to learn from those older guys. I mean, he's only 19 years old and uh, already looks like a guy who who might be, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but he could be a mainstay at shortstop for the next decade for the Orioles. So there's a lot to be excited about, especially uh, on that minor side of things. Um, Anthony Santander really stepped up this year before he got hurt. He looks like a guy who can be a 40-homer hitter. Um, He doesn't have the on-base skills that, that some other guys have, but you don't necessarily need to walk a ton when you're going to hit, you know, 40 homers and maybe drive in 100. Um, so he's a he's a guy who really stood out this year. And even the smaller guy, you know, Pat Vileka is a guy that most casual fans don't really know. And he wasn't great, but he was a decent enough stopgap when Iglesias was out with an injury, and you'd fill in at second base, third base, wherever needed. Uh, so there was there was really a lot to like this year. Uh, but one guy I wanted to ask you about. Without looking, how old do you think Cesar Valdez is, Mr. Deadfish? Uh, see, I know how old he is. <laughs> I know how old he's about my age. Um, but the, Cesar Valdez is, is such an incredible story, man, what, what, what he did. I mean, he, he got his first taste of Major League action in 2017. I'm, and for those who don't know, he's in his mid-30s. He's, yeah. he's in his mid-30s. And uh, what, what he did this year, coming – in 2017, his ERA was about seven seven three. 
then he doesn't pitch in the majors again. He goes to the Mexican League. He becomes successful, develops that dead fish changeup that you just mentioned, comes to the Orioles and becomes one of the most reliable relievers. He's been an incredible story and somebody that I didn't even think about when I was going over your notes and all that. And that's 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 a great mention right there because that's somebody who be part of the Orioles' future and he's one of the old heads in the unit. Yeah, and he he's a guy who really really came out of nowhere. And I'll be honest with you, I hadn't heard of him until he he came up and made his debut with the Orioles. Um, I I do have to correct you though. He had a brief stint in the majors in 2010, which oh, okay. it was very very brief. But uh, and then he was out of the league for for six years and came back. He had stints with three different teams, but. You know, he just made his debut with the Orioles this year, and he's now played in nine games for the Orioles, which is more than he played with for any other team. And this guy's 35 years old, and he came out of nowhere with that that devastating changeup that that seemed untouchable. So even he, you know, whoever was working with him before he came up, I mean, something's going on down there, and it's 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 looking good for our future. I don't know how you can look at this team, not just the product on the major league field this year, but you know, the guys coming up through the system, and not be genuinely excited about the next decade of Baltimore Orioles baseball. Yeah, it's, what's going on in Baltimore opinion is something that's pretty special. Uh, and, and all you have to do is look at that alternate training site down in Bowie. And anybody that came up served themselves well when they came up to the major leagues. They didn't come up and they didn't look lost. They didn't look like they were overmatched. And I think it's a, it's a testament to the analytics department that we have in, that the Orioles have in place and to the coaching, Chris Holt, has been doing a great job down there. Uh, Gary Kendall was running that camp, and uh, he just has these players performing at a high level, and then it's it's transitioning to the major league level, and uh, it's it's so exciting to see. And it's it's one of those things where it's like I can't wait for 2022 to get here because you know 2021 is going to be exciting on its own, but then in 2022 you're looking at Crutchman, maybe Hall, and and Grayson Rodriguez, and then you know 2023 maybe Gunner's ready to go, and it's just to have so many players in this system that we can legitimately be excited about. And we're not talking about, you know, Brad Bergeson and Brian Mattis and, and guys like that. We're talking about guys who are going to be legitimate potential stars at, at the major league level. It's man, this is the most excited I've been for Orioles baseball in about three years. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I mean, you know, you mentioned the the Bergeson and uh, Jake Arrieta, Chris Tillman, those guys, Troy Patton even, you know, supposed to be a, a dominant starter for us. And when you really break it down, the big difference now is we have, you know, we mentioned that analytics department. We have a good developmental staff now. And uh, it's it, it really is exciting. But you mentioned the coaches. I was going to save this for later. But uh, in, in other baseball news this week, Rick Renteria was fired by the Chicago White Sox after his uh, fourth year at the helm of their rebuild. And uh, they had their first winning season in quite some time this year, made it to the playoffs. A lot of young studs on that team. Um, it, it got me thinking, though, do you, and I want to ask you this first. Do you think Brandon Hyde is the guy to be the face of this Orioles rebuild at, at, you know, at, at the manager role? You know, man, it's so hard to say. When they hired him, I thought he was going to be a stopgap guy. I thought that he would get the Orioles for three, four years of the rebuild. And then once they got back to contention, they'd go to somebody with a proven track record who, who can go win a World Series. I don't know that many managers would have been able to get the production out of this Orioles team that Brandon High got out of them. I, I still have my qualms with the guy. I think he doesn't trust his starters long enough. I think that, that he focuses way too much on the pitch count. Um, and, and, and I think that the first sign of trouble, he, he he gets his guys out of there, which I think you need to show more trust 
but it's all it was also a truncated season. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, it's only sixty games. You want to keep these guys. You want to get these guys through the season healthy. So I get it. But there were times when it was a winnable game, and you, and you remove a guy, and it didn't work out. It's hard to say, man. It's it's really hard to say because who's to say that in twenty twenty three, when the Orioles are in prime position to to go out and win an American League American League East Division crown, that you don't want a guy like a Joe Madden, or you know somebody with the with the track record of say Kevin Cash, who's built a, a winning team down in Tampa Bay with with not with guys on the scrap heap, basically. Not that those guys would be available, but if there's that type of manager available, I, I can't say definitively that Brandon Hyde will still be here. It's it's so early, it's so hard to tell. I think he gets a lot out of his roster, but I, st- I still think he seems like a young manager at times. Yeah, I would have to agree. And I, I read this in an article about Renteria, and they, they pointed out that, you know, sometimes the face just kind of gets old. Um, yeah. And, and the, the problem with managing a rebuilding team is you're not expected to win but you take the blame for the losses. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough position to be in. But, you know, like you said, uh, who knows what, you know, a couple years down the road when we're legitimately talented enough to compete for a World Series, you might need that guy who's got that proven track record. And this is Brandon Hyde's first big league manager job. So who knows, you know, when it comes down to that tough situation, we, we don't really know. But, uh, you know, so far, I think so good. Like you said, he gets a lot of production out of his players. I think the players respect him a lot. Uh, he's he's very well spoken with the media, and uh, you know whether he's a stopgap or not. I mean, I think he's the guy for now, and I, I, I I'm pretty happy with that, to be honest. Well, yeah, you you look at what the White Sox did with with Rick Renteria. He was there, took all of his bumps, um, getting that team through a rebuild, and now they're. They're at a place where they're a productive major league team, and they have a ton of talent on their roster. And they're reaching out to Tony Larusa, who hasn't managed in almost a decade. They're reaching out to Tony Larusa because they want a manager that can get them to that next level. And with with Brandon Hyde, he needs to go out and prove when he has a talented enough roster to compete that they don't need to go someplace else to get to that next level. It's up to him. It's up to him if if he gets this team in 2022 into into the playoffs and you know beyond the division series and that's a guy who has who has you know longevity at this job if, if they go in in 2022 and they lose a wild card game and then they lose a wild card game the next year you know that's when you look at making a move but and that's what the white Sox are doing they're trying to get somebody who can take them to that next level yeah and you can't really fault them for that although the, the firing was a little bit of a surprise but you know, that's, that's the business. That's that's how it goes. Um, let's look ahead a little bit to next year. The Orioles' starting rotation, we've already mentioned guys like Aiken and Kramer who showed that they belong and who can, I think at the very least, be solid back-end rotation guys. Um, how do you think the, the rotation shapes up to start next season? You know, we had we had John Means who faltered a little bit here and there. You know, he was dealing with some emotional stuff and, um, you know, didn't look great and then he finished the season really strong he was striking out guys all of a sudden uh he had a couple ticks up on his fastball so and he's a guy he was our all-star representative in 2019 and uh and i think he did enough to stick around uh how about those other two spots i think we still got alex cobb under contract jorge lopez was all right but probably not good enough to maintain a spot um are there any guys like that or even guys down at uh at who were at the alternate site this year who you think are ready to step into the rotation? 
Well, I think the way that your rotation lines up right now would be Means, Cobb, Kramer, Aiken, and then by default, Lopez. Um, Lopez's peripherals weren't great. Uh, weren't great last year, uh, but I think he's going to get every opportunity to win a spot. They love his arm. Brandon yeah. Hyde loves loves him. Uh, so I think that going into spring training, he'll have the inside track to that fifth spot in the rotation. I think your top four spots are pretty much locked in right yeah. now with Means, Cobb, Kramer, and Aiken. I think that you're looking at guys like uh, Bruce Zimmerman and Michael Bauman and Zach Lowther, who may not get an opportunity at the beginning of the year, but if, if they pitch well enough in Norfolk, you'll, you'll see them at some point in 2021. And then you know that the Orioles are going to go out and sign a minor league free agent. They're, they're, they're going to sign a free agent to a minor league deal, like like a Tommy Malone, like a Wade LeBlanc, um, somebody somebody like that. There's going to be a lot of free agent pitchers on the market this year. A lot of them, have all, they're already priced out of the Orioles range. But I look at a guy like maybe, um, again, like a, like a Tommy Malone or even a Colin McHugh who sat out this year after having um, some elbow issues, and he could come back next year and you know have a make-good deal somebody like that. But I think that you're going to look at, there's not going to be a big splash. It's just going to basically be who they already have in house. And then maybe a veteran that they signed to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. A lot of time. Alone. Yeah. And there, there are a couple guys I, I had wrote down as well that team that, that Tommy Malone, that Wade LeBlanc type signing. Uh, and those two guys are Tyler Chatwood and Garrett Richards. Um, mm-hmm. Both that both of them are are just barely on the wrong side of thirty in in terms of you know where you want a professional athlete to be, um, and their peripheral stats aren't that great, but man, both of them can spin a fastball on a curve, and to me that screams Mike Elias. It screams let's see if we can you know have a little bit of a reclamation project here. So I could see you know one of those two two being signed to fight for that that fifth starter spot, and uh, if they perform well enough. Maybe they can get us a couple international prospects like Tommy Malone and Andrew Kashner did. Yeah, I, the, Tyler Chatwood was a guy that I really wanted heading into 2018. I was and then, the same way, yeah. And, and then he walked the world that year for the Cubs. Um, and, and he's had some success the, the, the seasons after that. Um, it, what, what it's going to come down to, Ryan, is the money that the Orioles are willing to spend. And I still think a guy like Garrett Richards and a guy like Tyler Chatwood are going to command a little bit more than what the Orioles are willing to do. I know that Garrett Richards wants the opportunity to start, and he's been kind of relegated to the bullpen out there in San Diego. Um, I, I know he wants that opportunity to start, so maybe that could be a good guy. And like you said, the spin rail and the fastball and the curveball is something that Elias loves to work with. So they could be good options. It's it's just it's so hard to tell right now. You know, in in October when they still have the playoffs going on, but. We'll see. There's going to be somebody, and why why not one of those guys? You know. Yeah, and I I expect the you know I, I don't expect a ton of of moves in terms of free agency. I think a lot of it will will come from in house. Uh, you know, I I tweeted something out a couple weeks ago and said, are there any free agent targets you're you're interested in the Orioles pursuing this year? And um, a lot of people have said just bring back Jose Iglesias. Uh, he's a mm-hmm. guy we got on a on a one year deal. Uh, we have an opportunity to to extend him for one more season. Uh, so, and he's a guy I definitely think we should stick around. You know, we're not looking too hot in the middle of the infield right now. So, Iglesias, I'd love to keep around. Um, in terms of outside targets, a couple guys who stuck out to me and might be a little pricey. Who really knows how the market's going to shape up? Um, but Jerickson Profar is a guy I really have my eye on to play second base. Maybe platoon with Hanser Alberto a little. Um, 
I think it might have been you who mentioned Scooter Jeanette. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, and then uh, oh. another guy who who seems like a good Orioles target would be uh, Tommy LaStella. Um, okay. He's a, a veteran middle infielder who seems like he could plug in a couple spots. Um, but if we're talking more realistically, and let's say we, we choose to stay in-house, um, maybe Ryland Bannon's ready. Maybe he's the guy for next year to kind of play that, that Pat Valeka, Andrew Velasquez role. What do you think about Bannon? I was really high on Ryland Bannon. I thought that he was going to come in this year and push Rio Ruiz uh, in spring training. Uh, he didn't get much of a look, but I expect him to go down to Norfolk. He, he went down to Norfolk last year, and after hitting 255 at Bowie, he hit 317. And Norfolk. This is a guy who had a 20 homer season in the in the PCL a couple years back with the um, in the Dodgers organization. He's a short guy. He's five foot eight, so he he doesn't have the size. Uh, his glove is, you know, shaky. But he got good defensive grades in his scouting reports coming out of college. So I'm wondering if it's more like an an, an arm issue or just you know needs that that professional coaching to kind of get him where he needs to be defensively. But Ryland Bandon is a guy who, look, they don't have anybody else to play third base right now. You have you have Toby Welk in the system, but he he was a Division three player who got drafted like the 21st round by the Orioles, and he set the all-time hitting record at Aberdeen in 2019, but he's still a long ways away from getting anywhere close to the major. So it's Rio Ruiz and then Ryland Bannon, and... I was completely underwhelmed by Rio, by Rio Ruiz this past year. I feel like he took his offensive slumps into the field. Uh, every error that he made seemed to be at a costly moment in the game. I, I can think of two games where an error that he made cost the Orioles a game, mm-hmm. uh, including that one against the Nationals where they homered three times off of, uh, off of Max Scherzer. Yeah. Um, so Brylon Ban is a guy I think that's going to push for an opportunity. Now, he's Rule 5 eligible this year. So the Orioles have to add him to their 40-man. And you sent me some notes, and I know you want to talk about the Rule 5. He's one of those guys that they need to add to their 40-man roster where he could be put out there for that Rule 5 draft. So I I hope that he gets added. I think he gets added and gets an opportunity in the spring. I I think he will too. And I've I've seen a lot of Bannon both at at Bowie and then uh, I saw him in the Arizona Fall League last year. And uh, you know, there's nothing about him that that really stands out, but he's one of those guys who's, who's pretty stable. And I think he's got a floor as as a, a utility guy, maybe a Ryan Flaherty type player. You can plug him in at third base, second base. He could probably play a little bit of shortstop. I think they've worked him out in center field just a tiny bit. But um, I think second and third, especially being the Orioles' biggest weaknesses right now, he's a guy you can you can plug in and, and have confidence in that he'll he'll play at least at replacement level. I would think. Um, but he's yeah he's a uh, he's a guy who if the Orioles choose to stay in house, um, he, he's a solid option. Um, speaking of in-house options, the Orioles have one heck of a logjam in the outfield, um, especially if Neil Diaz is ready to play next year and he can stay healthy. Um, how, do you, how do you think the outfield shapes up next year? We had guys like Mullins and DJ Stewart who performed well enough to, to be in the conversation for, for regular roles. Uh, we've got Trey Mancini, God willing, coming back ready to play next year. Uh, you can plug him in at, at first base, a little bit of left field. And... Um, so where do you think the outfield shapes up as we as we head into next year? Because there's a lot of guys who who have made a case for themselves. Well, I think that your everyday starting outfield is Mountcastle left, Hayes in center, Santander on the right. I think that's your everyday outfield. I think that um, Cedric Mullins and look, I love what Cedric Mullins did this year. I love that he can't, he had this was a huge bounce back year for him after what happened in 2019, getting demoted to AAA and then from AAA to Double A, 
to come back and hit 270 this year, lead the majors in in bunt hits, play the kind of defense he played. Really proud of what Mullins did, but l- let's be realistic here. He's a fourth outfielder. That doesn't mean he won't get three starts a week. You know, he's gonna he's gonna get an opportunity to play, um, but just just not every day. DJ Stewart, look, y- you can't ignore the seven home runs in eight games, right? But you also can't ignore the 0 for 17 start with 10 strikeouts. Right. Um, is DJ Stewart that guy? No. Is he the guy who hit seven home runs in eight games? No. Uh, DJ Stewart, he's going to be, he's going to get every, every opportunity to make the opening day roster and help platoon between, between designated hitter left field and right field. His defense is very bad. It is. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's odd to me that his defense is as bad as it is because all he's done his entire life is play out. And he's just not a good outfielder. Um, takes a lot of bad routes, a lot of bad angles. I don't have to tell you about the ball that hit him in the head last year. <laughs> but they're going to give him an opportunity to play in the outfield to DH a little bit. Mancini's going to play mostly first base. You're also going to see Brian Mountcastle play some first base. You're going to see Mancini out of left field, out of right field. They're not going to just be stuck to these specific positions. Diaz, on the other hand, the guy has a world of talent, right? And he seems to... He seems to shine when the when when the spotlight is brightest, like he was a monster in the playoffs last year for Bowie. Mm-hmm. They want him to prove that he can stay healthy, and they want him to prove that he can be productive and stay healthy at the same time. So he's going to get he's going to start next year at Norfolk. It, I don't think there's any chance that Diaz makes makes the opening day roster. He's going to start next year at Norfolk, and it's up to him to show out. And if he comes in there and he tears the cover off cover off the ball. They're going to find a spot for him in Baltimore. You know, he was the centerpiece of that Machado trade. It's turned out to be that Dean Kramer really is the centerpiece now. But uh, Diaz, that arm, that bat, that speed, he has the potential to be a, a five-tool player. If he produ- produces at the in the minors, they'll find a way to get him on this roster. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think he's got to prove that that he can, uh, you know, build up a little bit of a track record as someone who can produce and and play. You know at least 130, 140 games in, in a full season. Um, and, and right now, you know, we have we have no reason to believe that he can be that guy. But like you said, the talent is there, great arm, great bat, and uh, he, he's someone you want to see up here in a, in a couple years, um, you know, maybe fighting with, with Kierstad for who's going to be, you know, the mainstay out in right field. Do you think when, when Diaz eventually is ready, we, we mentioned DJ Stewart, he was our first-round pick in 2015. It mm-hmm. feels like a long time ago now. And we've really only seen that first round potential in those eight games where he hit seven home runs. It seemed like he couldn't miss. Um, and then he went back to being pretty much the same DJ Stewart we had gotten accustomed to. Um, bad defense, a lot of strikeouts, uh, still able to draw some walks. He gets on base. He's kind of similar to Chance Cisco in that regard. Yeah. But um, do you think he has maybe any trade value? I, I look at guys who we might be able to dish off, and, and the immediate names that pop into my head are Renato Nunez and DJ Stewart as guys who might be able to bring a little bit of value back in a trade. Do you think there's anything there? Uh, it depends on what you're asking for. You know, I think somebody could look at – I think we can agree that he got a little pull happen after he hit those home runs. You know, he, he was kind of feeling himself, and that's all he wanted to do after that. Now, and he had some nice base hits to the opposite field, but if he wants to, to – be a, a viable major league option. Uh, he needs to to spray the ball all over the field. He gets on base at a great clip. That's that's always been his game, even through college. That's what he's going to need to continue to do. The home runs are going to come. You know, he doesn't need to get so pull happy. And it looks like he chases. He, he he's chased some pitches that he otherwise wouldn't chase 
because he got so cool happy, in my opinion. Trade value, I don't know what you're going to get from him. I, yeah. He hasn't proven to be a, a, much of a commodity at this point in his career. Now, if he goes out next year and he's hitting 270 with 15 home runs at the at the deadline, you might be able to get something for him. But I, I think he still has to prove something before he can be any kind of a trade chip. Uh, Nunez, on the other hand, I think I think Nunez is gone by the deadline next year. There, he, there's no spot for him on this team now or, or in the future. Too streaky of a hitter. Um, but some team is going to see that he has 40 home with potential and want to DH him, you know, four or five days a week and see what he can provide for their offense. I just, I don't think that he has a spot much longer in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I don't see Nunez as, as part of our future plans, to be honest with you. And I, I don't see, I don't see Rio there either. I know you've got a, a little bit of a personal connection to, to Rio Ruiz. Uh, but I, I will say, I like that you, uh, you started to pull a little bit of a Garceau and then you caught yourself and you slowed down and you said Rio Ruiz. It's a it's a hard name to jumble. I you know, Garceau caught a lot of flack this year for just kind of speeding through that name and and combining syllables and re, re whatever you want to say. Um, but and I think we both kind of you know it's it's a tough name to get through if you if you're not taking your time. Um, well, Paul, I, we've we've gotten a lot of good conversation through here. Uh, I'm I was hoping to keep this one to about 30 minutes. We're a little over that, which is is totally fine by me. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up. Um, this will be posted on Thursday the 15th. So I want to wish a happy 75th birthday to Orioles Hall of Famer Jim Palmer. Uh, if you if you listen to this, go ahead and give him a shout out on Twitter. Uh, better at Twitter than you'd expect a guy like Palmer to be. Uh, but uh, happy 75th birthday to him. And uh, thank you all for tuning in to uh, give that fan a podcast. Again, this is our this is our debut. Um, we're we're going to continue to get better. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have some great guests on the show. Uh, but I really have to thank Paul Valley here for for joining me for the first episode and and passing along the reins of of Utah Street Reports Podcast Network. So Paul, thank you so much for for helping me out with this. Ryan, thanks so much for having me. I always love talking to Orioles baseball, especially with a guy like you. So I uh, really appreciate you having me on the show today. Yes, sir. We'll do it again soon. Take care of yourself.